This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. Seth Godin has written over 20 best-selling books, has been named a marketing guru on a global scale, writes a daily blog that has over 7 million readers, hosts the Akimbo podcast, runs workshops, including the Alt-NBA, and has inspired people to transform their lives by being more intentional and deliberate in the way that they show up. This is his second time on the podcast, and I feel so incredibly lucky to have him on again. He's also a huge supporter of public education. In this episode, we talk about his new book, The Practice, which focuses on the importance of creativity. We also discuss my new book, From Burnt Out to Fired Up, which is about encouraging educators to reignite their passion for teaching through easy, actionable approaches. I loved this conversation, and I hope that you come away as inspired as I was. Hey, and one more thing. If you're feeling stuck, frustrated, or feeling a little burnt out, or like you just can't quite reach your expansive goals, I want you to check out my new book, From Burnt Out to Fired Up, Reigniting Your Passion for Teaching, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and just about anywhere you get your books. It's actionable, it's research-based, and it will transform your life and practice. Through my five hours framework, you'll learn to reflect, reframe, refocus your goals, reconnect with those around you, and reveal the truest expression of who you are as an educator and as an individual. Just search Morgan Michael from Burnt Out to Fired Up. That's Morgan Michael, M-O-R-G-A-N-E, from Burnt Out to Fired Up to reserve your very own copy today. You can do the book at your own pace or snag a bunch of copies for a staff room book club. The practices are meant to be shared. And if you're looking for inspiring lessons or daily inspirations for yourself, search Small Act Big Impact in Google for my website and for my Instagram pages. Hi, Seth Godin. Thank you so much for being on Kindsight 101 with me today. Emphasis on the word kind. (laughs) You're a magician and it's just a privilege to be talking to you. Wow. Thank you. I have to say this. Every time that I open a book by you, a blog, an email, whatever it is, I feel this resounding sense of like just feeling inspired. And I think I'm reminded that I I'm capable. I'm capable of being creative. I'm capable of whatever it is that I set my mind to. And I think that it sort of drowns out for at least a short while, anything that you write, that inner voice, that inner critic that says, no, you're not. (laughs) So I just (laughs) want to thank you for that. (laughs) Well, I write books so that people like you can do the work you know you can do and you keep contributing. So thank you. Mm. I want to talk about creativity today. I think especially for educators, I've come to, through some of the research that I've been doing, really see the practice, which is what your new book is called, that practice of being creative as maybe a roadmap to getting out of that sense of burnout. I think expressing ourselves in a really deeply human way and can even get us to a place of fulfillment. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, Plenty of us do things all the time. We walk, we talk, we breathe, we eat, 
we dig ditches, we clean bathrooms, we teach math, and we don't burn out. Burnout is not about being physically tired. People voluntarily run a marathon, and then they run another one. And the next day or the next week or the next month, they're not burnt out. What is burnout? Burnout is the pain we feel when we are trying to do two things at the same time. And they might be, be here and not be here. Those are two different things. Speak up or don't speak up. Those are two different things. And it's when we're in that tension in a persistent, consistent way that we, be, that we experience burnout. So like you, I know teachers. And I know, you know, one teacher that's been teaching in the public schools for 22 years. She's not close to burnout. Mm -hmm. And I know others with the same job who a year into it are completely burned out. What's the difference? It's not the physical work. It's the story we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to it, I think a lot of educators will say, I'm not creative. I wish I had a passion, but I don't. It hasn't knocked on my door. How do I get there? I see other people doing these things. I don't know how to get there. Maybe one day, maybe when my kids are older, maybe later, maybe it'll just hit me one day and they're waiting. What do you say to those, those people, the teachers, the parents, what do you say to them? Well, the first thing I would say is a, let's do a small history lesson. The very first teacher's college in North America was in Massachusetts and it was called the normal school because it taught you to be normal. And no one was forced to go to a teacher's school. Why do people choose to do it? Well, they have two things going on in their head. One thing is they'd like to be of service. They'd like to have a pretty steady job, a job with some respect where they can be of service, turning on lights for other people. But the other part, and I mean no disrespect, is they don't advertise that this is the place to go to do stuff that feels scary that might not work. Instead, they say, this is the normal school. Come here and we will teach you to be normal, to teach other kids to be normal. And that's what you signed up for. Just like if you sign up to play baseball, you can't sleep at home every night because the whole idea of being on a baseball team is you're on the road. The whole idea of being a teacher is there's a curriculum, right? There's a syllabus here. We, we give it to you. You don't have to figure out the calculus syllabus, we give it to you. And now the world is changing and the pressure to be an industrialized cog in the system of the uh, educational industrial complex is different. Mm -hmm. And we're saying to some people, you know what? Now that every lecture ever recorded is available online for free, we really don't need you to be a local version of somebody who is reading the notes. We got someone doing that, please solve these interesting problems and be creative. And people are saying, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. And that translates into, I am not creative. Mm. And to that last sentence, I say, no way. I mm. say, that's not true. Of course you're creative and I can prove it. Hmm. I do. I think that too. And I, I, I think that there's just sort of this, I, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert who said, in order to find your passion, cross that out and go for your curiosity. Like what lights you up? What makes you feel curious? And I love that as a starting point. I think, especially with educators who not everybody, there's always exceptions to the rule, but we do tend to like our routine and we like to have a roadmap and we like to do it the right way. And so 
what do you think about curiosity and, and what are some ways that you maybe find yourself exposing yourself to new kind of creative stimuli through your, through your curiosity and your interests? I will, let's talk about my friend Liz for a minute first, because she is the patron saint of so many of us. Yes. (laughs) it, It is very easy to misunderstand her, particularly with book titles like big magic. Mm-hmm. There is no magic. Mm. There's effort. Liz is curious, not because it tapped her on the shoulder, but because she decided to be curious. And if you don't feel curious, if you're not wondering why that kid is behaving differently than that kid, that's a choice. And the way you become curious is the same way you are able to lift 40 pounds with uh, dumbbells. You start with five pounds and you work your way up. The way you become curious is you say, is there something in my life that works and I don't know why? How does a refrigerator work? Why is it that the car knows that I have the keys in my pocket? Pretend you're curious, figure it out, do it again. Yeah, and that there's no, there's no right or wrong. I think sometimes we, we attach ourselves, like I have a friend who's learning to run And I admire her for doing it the right way because that's how you avoid injury. But I also think that there's something in in that ability to just to follow that curiosity, to try something like you say often that might not work to kind of problem solve through that and not be looking around for how do you do this or how how what is the right way to podcast or what is the right way to write a blog? It's just do it. And then maybe it resonates with you or not. And I guess I I wonder about that. How do we unblock people from that need to be right and do it right? So here's a true story. Public school, Buffalo, New York. Uh, Two months ago, the president of Yale University in their commencement speech talked about two English teachers at Williamsville North High School. They were the same two English teachers I had at Williamsville East High School and my two sisters had as well. I dedicated one of my books to them. So here they are in the dedication of a book and mentioned at the graduation speech at Yale at a public school. So what did the Blaisdells do that most teachers didn't do? Well, we were assigned to read Ode to a Grecian Urn, which is, I think, a pretty stupid poem. In 10th grade, a whole bunch of 15 year olds are assigned to this poem. What did Millie Blaisdell do? She took us to the biggest cemetery in Buffalo and marched us through all the gravestones to a gravestone that had a Grecian urn on it and said, this, this is a Grecian urn. Mm -hmm. And then on our way out, she stopped at the crematorium to show us how they burn people to death. (laughs) And I still remember this 40 years, 35 years later. Yeah. I don't remember anything any of my other English teachers did. So she did something that they don't teach at the normal school. She did something that might not work. And she did it over and over again, different ways to get under a kid's skin who's got a smartphone in their hand. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be in the obedience business and the business of managing kids and somehow managing to work your way through the curriculum, I feel for you because the system doesn't respect you. Mm -hmm. But if you could figure out how to say, I will do something that may or may not work for these kids today. That's what we need you to do. Hmm. 
And there's an element of generosity that you always come back to, which I think personally gets me unstuck when I feel a bit stuck, when I feel that imposter syndrome coming on. I think there's that element that I think you, you touch on, which is when you have something important to share that you're just dying to share the creativity, the sharing, all of it comes from a different place than the need to self-propagate or, you know, aggrandize it's a different vibe. And I think maybe it's even received differently. Can you talk about that? And maybe even, maybe even in the context of teachers wanting to share with one another, because that's a really important piece of our success. Yeah. Let me put a little aside in first about authenticity, Mm. um, because it gets talked a lot about in, in our times, social media seems to really want us to let it all hang out, to be a diva. If we feel like being a diva, to just say, I was just being myself. Mm-hmm. No one wants you to do that. <laughs> and maybe if we're spectating Amy Winehouse having a meltdown, some people get pleasure in that. But in general, when a parent sends their kids to school, they don't want the authentic version of that teacher. They want the best version. When we go to a surgeon, we don't want the authentic version of this osteopath or orthopedist. We want the best version. That is what it means to keep your promise. So I think it's important to go into this conversation saying you're a professional and professionals do things even when they don't feel like it. And one of the things that you can do in the setting that you are in is to say, I don't necessarily feel like leaning in to possibility right this minute and exposing to these kids a little bit of light that they might not appreciate but I will do it because it's my job, because I said I would. And I think that the best teachers any of us ever had, it has to be that that's what they decided because they were consistently that way. It didn't just, they were having a good day. It's they were consistently that way. Mm. Which comes back to that practice. So even though you may not always feel like like you, we all have our bad days. We have days where we feel energized and inspired. And then we have days that we feel lacking in that energy. And that's that professionalism. Do you have, I mean, that, that sense of being professional should, should be motivation enough, but sometimes it isn't. Do you have any things that help people to hold on to that sense of professionalism, to hold on to that practice, to understand why it's so important? Well, okay, so we're going to talk about design thinking in a second. But before we do, I can already hear people getting a little bent out of shape about my thing about not being authentic. But if you need to be authentic, then you're going to burn out because Mm -hmm. there's a tension between wanting to do a good job and wanting to be authentic. Whereas if you realize this is your professional craft and you don't have to worry about being authentic, you can put on the performance you need to put on and hold for yourself what you need to hold on to. Mm. So what is the performance? The performance is who's it for and what's it for? Who in this room am I trying to change? What change am I trying to make? So if I think about, uh, I won't mention any names, the fifth grade classroom uh, where I was all those years ago, the teacher's goal was to get those people in that classroom to one, learn to obey her and two, do well on the quiz. That makes me really sad. Mm-hmm. 
neither of those are life skills and neither of those played into the extraordinary skill this teacher had earned. Mm. What this person could have instead said is, there are nine kids in this class who are ready to truly understand in their bones what a fraction is. And I'm not going to teach them this because it's on a test. I'm going to teach them this because it will change their life. Mm -hmm. And once the nine of them get it, they have enough status in the room that the other 20 will want to follow. That's why I'm here today. And if you can sign in for the who's it for and the what's it for and realize that you are a professional there to perform with skill, what a joy life becomes mm -hmm. because you can get better at it. And even if you're having a bad day, grumbling to yourself, it doesn't matter because fractions stay fractions mm -hmm. and fractions are universal and fractions are forever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's big. Cause I think, and there within that too, is this element that we don't need to teach not necessarily to the lowest common denominator, but we do also want to elevate those kids who are ready. And I think that's sometimes really exciting when you have students who want to write or have this, you know, you've got a handful and it may not be for everybody, but being able to ignite that passion for them is really important, really powerful. And I think it does fulfill us as educators too. I want to, I want to touch on this idea of the output versus the practice. And I think there's something about probably education, which drives us, you know, through the testing, through, we do, we do formative assessment, you know, three, four times a year, we are sort of bound by that in our model. But I think there is this whole, you know, this growth mindset that is perspective that's changing things, has changed things, has become part of the vernacular. It's easier said than done. I find myself even still, even though I feel like I know better going after the pursuit of the outcome over the passion and the excitement of the process. And I lose sight of that thread sometimes. And what do you say about that? How do we come back to that, that joy of creating or, or teaching or whatever it is that we're doing? These are beautiful questions. Thank you for Thank you. diving in so deep. So if you're in Algonquin park, and you want to swim across Buck Lake, uh, you have this moment of uh, Buddhist possibility. Because let's say you realize you shouldn't do it alone. So you and a buddy are going to swim across the lake. There are two ways to do this. One way is to attach yourself to each other. Get four bits of rope, 10 feet long each, left hand to left hand, right hand to right hand, foot to foot and start swimming attached to each other across the lake. I guarantee you, you're gonna die, you're <laughs> gonna drown. Because when you are attached to the other person, it doesn't work because you're spending all your time in that tension. Mm -hmm. The other way to do it is to swim a couple lengths away from them, keep an eye out for them, they keep an eye out for you, but you're swimming, that's your main job. You're not attached to them. And the same thing is true if you want your kids to do well on a test. If you become attached to their score, maneuvering everything to that number, you have left yourself, you have left them. You are connected to a thing you can't actually control. It will drag you both down. On the other hand, if you are aware 
of where you are and where the kids are and you are dancing with them, the tests will take care of themselves. Mm. Mm. That is powerful. That's powerful. I've thought about that attachment thing a lot because you want to give all of you to the effort and it's this sort of do it and then forget about the outcome almost. My drama teacher used to say that. He, he, he'd say things on mantras and he'd say, yeah, he'd say, do it, then forget about it. And I don't know if I ever quite got what it meant until fairly recently in my thirties, <laughs> just that, that try as hard as you can give it everything you've got, and then don't attach yourself to the outcome. Easier said than done. Way easier. Every author mm-hmm. I know, I insist on giving them unsolicited advice. Mm-hmm. And two key pieces of advice are don't pay attention to your bestseller status because you can fake it anytime you want by mm-hmm. doing some hype and don't read the reviews. Mm-hmm. Don't read the reviews because you're never going to write this book again anyway. Mm-hmm. I have never met an author who said my next book was much better because I read all my one star. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, this is the same thing. Yeah. What we have to figure out how to do is, oh, I wrote that book. Mm-hmm. Now, what will I do? Not how can I get into an endless loop about the one person who didn't get the joke because it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think also about the, like along the lines of attachment, there comes a time where you sort of have to abandon ship. You got to quit. You wrote about this in your book, The Dip. I, I cited it extensively in the book that I just wrote. And I did it because I, I'm not sure that everybody, you know, the people who, who are in my circle, my community understand what the dip is, what Brene Brown calls day two, that like, I'd love you to talk about it. And then how we can decide if it's a cul-de-sac moment or if it's a, if it's a keep going kind of moment, perseverance moment. Okay. So a couple minutes first, the title of the new book is what? The new book, my new book? Yes. Oh, it's about, it's called From Burnt Out to Fired Up. And it's about reigniting the passion for teaching. And, and it's- What's the ship date? It's November 12th, but it's available for pre-sales this summer. So August. Okay. Yeah, which I'm very excited I, about. Have people uh, other than your editor read it yet? I haven't had, I haven't sent them out to endorsers yet. So we're just starting to- to do that now. Yeah. So just talking about it, which is exciting. And how do you feel about the book? Do you know what? I am so excited about it. And it's, it's because I'm proud of it. I feel, I feel like a lot of the practices, every chapter, there's five chapters, every chapter brought me through the pandemic in, in sort of a transformative way. It is linear, but you can take chapters out and there's an element of creativity in there on the last chapter, which is different. It's not really what a lot of people talk about when they talk about burnout. They talk about mindfulness. They talk about self-compassion. There's a lot around resiliency and goal setting and forward thinking. There's not a lot around how do you cultivate creativity? Mm -hmm. And I think that's that like missing secret piece that brings your life back when you're feeling disconnected from your humanity. So that's what I'm excited about. You can't be creative and burnt out at the same time. No, no, I don't think so. And it's, it's exciting for me. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm really, 
I'm thrilled about bringing that um, in whatever capacity. Yeah. So it sounds like a book you do, not a book you read. Yes. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of actionable bits and a lot of science. I love science. So there's about 30 pages of references or something in the back. (laughs) So, you know, a lot of people in the United States, anyway, my illiterate brethren, um, the, (laughs) the average adult buys one book a year. Right. One. Wow. And that's because it reminds us of school. It reminds us of a science. And I think we need to distinguish between books you read and books you do. Mm. And you've shown up with a book you do. Mm-hmm. And for the people who are listening to this, who adore your voice and your passion and your leadership, they should buy the book right now. Just mm. take a chance. Buy the book. For 20 bucks, maybe 25 loonies, you'll come out ahead. Mm. Thank you. Thank well, you for that. Happy to, happy to vouch for you. Thank you so much. So you had a question in there, but I got all sidetracked with your, uh, with your book. Yeah. It was about the dip, which I encountered a gazillion times, I think along the process. (laughs) Okay. So let's, the book's only 97 pages long, but I will decode it as quickly as I can. The world has always given extra points to people who were seen as the best. Now, the world used to just be the village we lived in. So if there were three bakers in your little village in the south of France, you would only get your baguette from the best one. Why would you not? It's only three steps out of your way. To be the third best baker wasn't worth anything. The first wins the prize. Well, then we introduce something like Google and Google might give me 5,000 pages of matches to a search, but almost nobody looks past page two and almost everyone picks what's on page one because they want the one that's seen as the best. So the question is not, is it worth it to be the best, but how do you become the best at something? And the answer is you quit a lot of other things Mm -hmm. because being well-rounded is overrated, but committing resources and passion and persistence to be great at something has big prizes. So then the question is, well, isn't quitting bad? And my argument is we quit all the time. I don't know if you took ballet when you were four, but if you did, you're not taking it anymore. You're not wearing a tutu or a little (laughs) thing in your head. So along the way you quit and that was appropriate because now you get to do what you do now. And so what I ask people to do is figure out who it's it's for, figure out what's it for, figure out the change you seek to make. And then say, this other thing I've been carrying around, is it a dead end, meaning no matter how long I keep doing it, I'm never gonna get to the other side. Or is there a dip ahead of me? Which means that if I actually commit to working my way to the next level here, I can get to the other side. Because if you can find a dip and commit to it before you hit the hard part, it is much more likely you will get to the other side. And you know, a simple, stupid, practical example, when Twitter came out, I saw it before most people, same as Facebook, I'm not on Facebook and I'm not on Twitter because I said, well, if I race around and do those two things, what am I going to be worse at? Mm -hmm. I have to be spend less time on blogging and I'd rather be the best in the world at that than mediocre at three things. Mm -hmm. And it's scary to do that because the commitment makes us nervous because what if we fail? We'd rather have a portfolio of things we can be mediocre at and I'm begging people instead to be really good at something. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's so important. 
And there's something in that essentialism that that drowns out the noise. And I think you often refer to hiding. And so within that, when you're, you're overstuffed, your priorities are all over the place. It's easy to get sidetracked or to procrastinate or to hide. And you, I think you talk about procrastination as a, as a means of hiding. And so drilling down and quitting the things that don't serve you. I think that's a beautiful thing, especially for educators who are bombarded by programs, approaches, best practices. You do have to find, I think what's best for you and then stick to that and go with it. Yeah. Before I let you go, because I want to be mindful of time. Do you have any particular message right now that you think educators need to hold in their hearts as they set off for this year, or just the moment that they're in currently right now as they're listening? Well, the first thing is I got to say, thank you. You are underpaid, underrespected, underutilized, under leveraged, and you show up anyway. And thank you. Uh, anybody who wears the teacher hat is a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. The sec second thing I would say is in this moment, in particular, as we strive to bootstrap our way out of a global pandemic, a long overdue focus on racial injustice, on the rights of indigenous peoples and so many other tragedies, we're gonna get out of it because of teachers, because someone's gonna teach somebody else how to be better. But the third thing, the one that might surprise you because you already knew the first two things is there's a huge difference between learning and education. And we do not have an education shortage. We just don't. And we have a learning crisis. There is more education available to more people than ever before in the history of the world. But will this be on the test? If anyone in your proximity is asking themselves that question, you are not doing learning. You are doing education. Please stop. Will this be on the test is toxic. It says, what's the least I can learn to get through this and then forget it tomorrow. But learning, we know how to walk, we know how to talk, we know how to ride a bike, we know maybe how to juggle, we know how to do all these things we truly care about because we did them, not because there was a test. And if I can help teachers understand that, that they have to fight the system, they have to enlist parents, you have to ask, what is school for? That would be a good day for me. Seth Godin, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been, as always, insightful and inspiring. So thank you for making the time. You're a hero. Keep reading. <laughs> thank, thank you. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact.
big impact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.